Hello, my friends, and welcome to the latest edition of the Selby is Godcast. You are surrounded by TJ Zuppi and Zach Meisel of the Athletic Cleveland. Terrifying. (laughs) Well, that's how every player in the clubhouse views it when we surround them. When the media comes in like a herd of cattle and we slowly surround our prey. Can you imagine being a player, getting out of the shower, going back to your locker, and then you just have a group of like 15 people watching you as you remove your towel. Whoa. Put on well, I don't, watching is too strong of a word. Well, but monitoring. You, monitoring. Because you do the awkward thing where like you look at the player, you watch him get back to his locker, and you like look down at the ground for 15 seconds as he puts on his his undergarments, and then you look up. Up. Oh, nope. Boxers aren't quite on yet. <laughs> you look down at the ground again. Wait for him to put on pants. Then he awkwardly sits there and replies to a couple of texts. Knows that the media is waiting for him. Then you watch as he puts on his socks and a shirt and a hat. And he grabs his wallet and his phone and his keys. Puts everything. And it's like, it's just the most uncomfortable process. And I wish we didn't have to do that. I don't think we have to do it that way. But for some reason... It's just the way it's always been done. Yeah, reporters are like predators. And... That's why, TJ, I told you last night, I, that's why I decided not to be a professional athlete. It's, it's too awkward, that, that whole process. Yeah, it's a shame that your talent went to waste and you weren't able to become you know, the superstar that God intended you to be. But I understand where you're coming from. You know, if, that, if that's just too much for you, Cleveland will never be able to see the second greatest athlete to come out of Northeast Ohio, LeBron being the first. Interesting. I feel like there are other worthy candidates. <laughs> Maybe a few. Just me and LeBron. Um, yeah, you know, it's fine. And this week, speaking of LeBron, you had Tito compare LeBron to Josh Tomlin. It's probably the first time As we've that's all ever done, happened. right? Um, uh, but it is interesting to, to kind of monitor that situation uh, because, of course, Tomlin has had a rough go beginning part of the season. Many people are starting to wonder how long the leash is for a guy like Tomlin. And, you know, I think we've said many times, we've written it quite a few times. You wrote it the other day. You know, Tomlin throughout his career has been a perfectly fine number five starter. And if he's pitching like we've seen in his career, probably pretty happy with that as your fifth starter. That said, if he's given up home runs the way that he is and the command isn't what it needs to be, and you're just not seeing the things that make Josh Tomlin Josh Tomlin, that's when it gets really difficult to watch, and it makes it, I think, acceptable and perfectly fair to wonder how long that leash is and when do they make a, some sort of decision, when do they go in a different direction. So I'm going to compare Tomlin not to LeBron James, but to my one-year-old puppy, Linus. Follow him on Instagram at Linus underscore the underscore lab underscore. Um... Because you mentioned leash, and it I, this probably won't work, but let me bear with me here. I take the dog for a walk every morning-ish lunchtime, and we go to the park. And some my dog loves to run around in the mud. He's like a pig. <laughs> and if I see mud coming, you know, you see like a... If it rained the night before, you see a, a giant puddle on the side of the path. I know my dog is going to try to splash around in there, and then next, you know, we get back to the car, and he gets my back seat all muddy, and then I gotta clean him off when we get home, and it's it's an entire process I don't want to deal with. So, we have a retractable leash. This is where the leash comes in. 
and you have to balance how much do I trust the dog to where if I see this puddle coming, do I leave it at the, I, I want to say it's like maybe six feet? Does that sound right for the leash? It's probably fair. Six to eight feet. Do I leave it at the maximum? Do I shorten it as much as possible so that he, I have more power over him and, and I can yank him out of the way so he doesn't go in the puddle? How much do I trust the dog to not splash in this puddle? And at what point as we're approaching the puddle do I need to start shortening it and shortening it to where I have full control? Tomlin... <laughs> I'm trying. I'm struggling. <laughs> like, like, how much? How much do you trust him right now? I mean, is your leash at six feet? Do you trust him to get out of this no matter what? Especially when considering the alternatives, or is the leash? Uh, did you shorten it as much as possible so that you can yank him out of that rotation if he has one more poor start? I mean, I, I think it's somewhere in between, and I think part of that is Tomlin's track record, what he means in the clubhouse, and. The fact that he's prone to these things and he's he's gotten out of them sometimes, and I think part of that too is there's no one knocking on the door to take his spot. Well, that's, yes, that's that's a huge thing, uh, I, and I th- I think as you look at the double header coming up this week, that plays into it because one of the candidates for taking his spot in the rotation is coming up to take one of those starts. So you need an additional starter this week. You can't reduce the leash even more. That analogy really sucked, by the way. I'm sorry for wasting two minutes. You can't allow Tomlin to get out there and get money because you need him to stay clean because you're going to need him at least one time, one more time through the rotation. Okay. Um, it's, it's really difficult because the home runs he's giving up right now, I mean, they're, what is it, 10 and 18 and a third innings? It ain't good. Uh, and he knows that. And to his credit, he never runs from that. He understands that if he is not out there with his elite level command, that he's going to give up a lot of runs. Uh, and I think there are a few things at play. One, the the velocity being what it is, he's got to be perfect. And right now, he's not. It's slightly encouraging that they feel like they've pinpointed something with his release point. But it's also little bit concerning because this is similar to what he went through last year and it has continued to be something that has plagued him. He managed to get through it and he actually pitched okay after the end of April last year and battled through some injuries but still posted an ERA that was just over four, which again is fine for your number five starter. The way he's pitching right now though, they can't afford to keep running that out there and I think we all understand that. He's going to get at least one more start and I think probably at least two more. That one start is going to come in New York That is the a top line up. That's a problem. Yeah. Um, and, and he's he's been prone to surprise us many times before. I feel like every year we get to this point where people question if this is it for Josh Tomlin and he finds a way to survive. And to his credit, he gets by with the stuff that is a tenth of what the other guys on the staff have. Uh, but there is a point where you know, you're going to run out of leash for him. Um, we're not quite there yet. I understand the limitations of why they have to do what they're going to do with him. But at the same time, you know, for as good a guy as he is, as much as we've appreciated covering him because he's always available and he never runs from a bad stretch, and as much as his teammates love playing you know, with him on the mound and with him on the field and within the clubhouse, he ain't getting people out. At some point, there's going to be a, a point where you just got to go in a different direction. And, you know, may, maybe we're getting pretty close to that point. Yeah, and I think it would be different if he was 27 or if he threw 95. Because there are things you can get away with. There are things you can change. And with him right now, it's it's he has to be perfect because he only throws 87. Yeah. You know, and, and he doesn't have that... 
giant gap in between uh, velocity on his off-speed stuff and his, his harder stuff. So he has to be he has to hit those corners. He can't miss by a couple inches. He he has to be precise. And so at some point, you just you can't do that as well as you used to. And whether it's just a lack of arm strength, whether it's just it, it's the the mileage you've you've racked up, um, or just that hitters have figured you out and it's your time is up I mean that there's a reason why people decline and pitchers don't pitch at the same level until they're 50 years old so you wonder with him getting older being around the block so many times having been through this a number of times sometimes the changes you've made in the past aren't going to work again and so it, it's it's legitimate to ask if I'm not saying the guy needs to retire, but it's legitimate to ask if maybe this isn't completely fixable. Maybe this this isn't... Or maybe know, not on the right schedule that they need it to be fixed. Exactly. And so I think, you know, it's one thing to... We're talking about the number five starter, right? And if that's your biggest problem... Right. And I don't know that it is because yeah, we could talk about the offense. I think we could talk get to the bigger problem. We could talk about the bullpen. Um, but if this is something you're talking about, it's okay because come October, Tomlin's pitching in the 14th inning of a game or in mop-up duty, right? Yeah, I mean, like, what's going to happen? A pitcher gets hit in the arm by a pitch, and then or a comebacker, and then the other pitcher is going to have arm trouble, and you're going to be down to like two and a nine-ten starters. But it's more so to me. It's, it's <laughs> when would that craziness ever occur? It's not 2016 for everyone who that went over their head. Um, it's to me more so that when he pitches, you're just taxing your bullpen. Yeah. And when Carlos Carrasco only goes three innings and then Tomlin's pitching the next day, that's that's a recipe Yeah, everyone for else has to be perfect, unfortunately. And and he feels the, the pain of that. He hates that he's put his club in this situation. And I don't if, if he can't figure it out, it obviously won't be because he's not working through it. I mean, just today, I've been trying to talk to him the last couple of days, um, and he's been out in the field, and he's been out in the bullpen. And even just beyond saying hello to him today, as we were passing paths in the hallway, he's off to go do something else. He's trying to work through it. And right now, you can see that, as, as Tito said the other day, the arm slot has dropped and that his arm has gotten further away from his head to kind of give you a visual. And the data backs that up. You can see the, the release point has been floating, uh, not just in his last few starts, but really since the end of last year and even through last year, his arm slot had dropped. He had dealt with this in April, but what was causing some of the issues is by dropping his arm slot, it creates more tail on his pitches. It makes his four-seamer look more like a two-seamer. And for, for you know, in theory, you think more movement is a good thing. You think for a pitcher, if you're making your ball move all over the zone, that's a great thing. Well, for him, he's relying on being pinpoint accurate, hitting the corners, and staying out of the middle part of the plate, avoiding barrels. Well, unfortunately right now, he's either missing the zone, putting himself in bad counts, or he's missing in the middle of the plate because the pitch is running back over them and leaking back over the fat part of where they can do some real damage. And that's what's causing a lot of the mistakes. Is it fixable? Maybe. And we'll see. And I think because they've pinpointed it something, and they're going to give them a couple starts to work through that, because it doesn't happen overnight. You don't make those adjustments overnight. I think that plays into the leash that they currently have. But at some point, too, if he's not making those adjustments and if you're not seeing a return on the work that he's putting in, you know that's when you start to question if some of the guys they have down in, at AAA are a better solution long-term. And maybe we'll find out a little bit more when, when Adam Plutko comes up here on Thursday and makes that start. So 
there are options, but they just, they, like you alluded to, they're unknown options. I mean, Shane Bieber called up to AAA to replace Sean Morimondo, who, who went on the disabled list. Uh, Ryan Merritt joining the rotation at Columbus. He's got 30 days on a minor league rehab assignment, a maximum of 30 days. So yeah, It sounds like he's going to need it. He still doesn't have arm strength quite where he needs it to be, and he's a guy that throws probably even softer than Tomlin does. So, But they'll have to make a decision on him at some point. So it's uh, shout-out Curtis Danberg. Um, <laughs> uh, it's the beauty of doing it here right in the middle of progressive field. Never know who's going to walk by. Danny Salazar, is he still... Drinking pina coladas on the beach in Aruba. Boy, is that where this he is? was something two weeks ago or a week and a half ago, whenever it was in Baltimore, they said, I feel like he's really turned a corner. And you're right that because they say it, but at the same time, you're like, what does that really mean? Until he goes out there and actually starts taking them out in an actual minor league rehab game, I don't know how excited you can get about him doing anything in a bullpen out in Arizona. So there are a few options probably down the road a little bit, but nothing that's like... A no-brainer, right? And so I think that's why Tomlin gets a chance to sort this out. Plus, I mean, have you seen the division standings? I don't want to sound like a PR Did machine. That? Did you put that in parentheses? Um, but it's not like they're, you know, the like the Nationals and Dodgers might panic a little bit. Like the Dodgers yeah. are, are off to a slow start and just lost their best player for best position player for the season. So if, if they want to panic a little bit, that's understandable. But the Indians here, they have the ability to have patience to work through some of these things. Right, and, it, and it could benefit. I mean, they gave Tomlin the ability to work through last year. And I said after April, he was a pretty serviceable pitcher. And he's going to have he's prone to his outings where he's going to go out there and give up five, six runs, give up three home runs. We've seen that. But he's also just as capable of going out and giving you six very strong innings, two runs allowed. And if you're getting that from Chris Starter, you'll be fine with that, so long as everybody else is doing their job. The problem is, as you said, if Carrasco has a bad start or Clevenger has a bad stretch, and then you throw that on top of a bullpen that's already missing Andrew Miller, and you're still trying to work through what is the solution to a Brian Shawless pen, you know, that's when a lot of those warts really start to become visible. If Tomlin gives up four bombs four or five innings on Friday, what do you do? Do you give him another start? How does I need to know how the outing plays out? Is he doing poorly right off the bat? Is it he goes four and a third innings, gives up six runs? Oh, how does Adam Pletko pitch on Thursday? I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. Well, you're making up these scenarios. I would hope that you would have some sort of but I mean, well, insight. What do you do? These like, decisions. Do you leave Tomlin in the rotation? Do you move him to the bullpen? Do you DFA him? Do you? You're not DFAing him. I mean, you turn maybe, him into a coach. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's a team mascot. Maybe it's a DL situation. Maybe he has some shoulder One of those fatigue. Giambiitis. Um, I don't know because we don't have all the variables right now. All right. Um, I, it's incomplete. I can't give you an answer. You're a lot of fun. I'm sorry. You didn't give me all the variables in this equation. You must be great at parties. <laughs> I am terrible at parties. Look at all these party tricks I know. I only know, like, one. Um, but it, I think it, it brings us to a more, more compelling, more interesting, uh, and potentially more crippling question. What's going on in that bullpen? We're getting a, uh, a little bit of a glimpse into the future since none of us have the crystal ball. None of us can peer into what will be 2019 for the Indians. We both believe that very real possibility, if not a likelihood, that Andrew Miller is not going to be part of this bullpen. And maybe even can say that about Cody Allen, too. 
right now you're counting on Nick Goody and Tyler Olson, two guys that were phenomenal last year. Uh, you're counting on Zach McAllister and Dan Otero, and now Jeff Beliveau, who comes in and gets a save, uh, facing Joey Gallo in a key situation. You're, you're now counting on guys that don't have – some of them don't have a, a proven track record. Some of them have pitched well in some spots, but now you're thrusting them into higher leverage situations, and you're still trying to figure out who takes the ball in the seventh inning. And this is all kind of compiled on top of each other when you don't have Andrew Miller and everybody is sliding up a spot in that pen. And we've seen here in the past couple of games – that has proven to be a difficult situation for Tito to navigate his way through, so much so that he's sending Trevor Bauer out there, who's more than willing to do this, by the way, to go through 122 pitches in a game in April. That's not ideal. That's a situation you want to have Andrew Miller. They don't have him, and in in the case in point last night, it ended up resulting in a game-tire home run. Yeah, the, the, the worst than Bauer throwing that many pitches is Cody Allen throwing 41 pitches, yeah. and not even... And having to be pulled after 41 pitches because there's still work left to do. So I, I look, we've talked about this ad nauseum. Brian Shaw and Joe Smith walked, and that's fine. Both guys are struggling so far in their respective new teams this year. And you weren't going to give Shaw $9 million a year. You weren't going to give Smith seven and a half. But you had to do something. And I, I believe... And believed in Goody and Olsen. I thought they would be fine. But you need... I mean, bullpen depth is is critical. Because it's such a volatile part of the roster. I know it's the easiest thing to address during the season. And I, that, I think that that's been their plan all along. Is to go get Andrew Miller. Go get Joe Smith. Go get someone like that. To help them for the stretch run. But you still needed some, some stability there. And... It just it made me scratch my head to think that you thought you would be able to bridge the gap from your rotation to Miller and Allen with three guys in McAllister, Otero, and Goody who weren't good enough to make your postseason roster. So how do you how do you think you have enough to move forward? How are you guys? What's up, Tom Hamilton? Um, what's going on? Just superstars. We're like on the red carpet right now. Yeah. So I, I, I you know, there were there, there was so much bullpen depth out there, and I know a lot of guys got paid over the off season. I'm sure there was there had to be someone that they could add, and and I don't think like I'd be surprised if Matt Belisle made it through the season with this team. Yeah. Um, and even McAllister, who's been dreadful for the first six weeks. So. I think a couple things. Number one, you don't want to just say, well, we'll make a trade because it's easy to do that in July. Like, you got to get to July healthy and in one piece and with guys having confidence. And if you're going to keep trotting out Tyler Olsen every single night, he's going to get burnt out. And if you keep using McAllister with the game on the line and it's not working, you're not going to learn or benefit in any way. So... They have to do something. Salazar is too far away to even start considering that. I think um, I, I've said it until I'm blue in the face. I think he's. I think it's the perfect idea to bring him back. It would speed up his recovery. You don't have to stretch him out. He can fit into that bullpen at some point, and, and I, I still believe that's going to happen. But that, that's getting ahead of ourselves. There, there has to be. They have to do something because it's not even just bridging the gap. It's when they are down one run going into the ninth, yeah. and you blink, and now you're down four runs, and you, you can't even give your offense a chance to make a well, comeback. That's, that's the thing they've done so well because they've been so deep there uh, in the past few years is 
they, even when they are down or when they're losing in a game, down a run, two, three runs, they keep the deficit right there, and they've given themselves a chance to come back. doesn't always work out that way, but they at least felt like if they go to Otero in the third inning, that it's it, uh, you're not punting the rest of the day. They still have a chance to go out there and win the game, and they've proven that the last few, few years. It doesn't feel quite that... There's not quite that same magic this year with the bullpen. Now, maybe they'll make us look foolish, and maybe they'll maybe Belial will get more opportunities, and he'll start pitching like he did in the second half last year, where he was he emerged as the Twins' closer after they traded, traded away half of their team. Um, you know, maybe that'll happen. Maybe Zach McAllister, he's also a guy that's battling uh, some release point issues, and they feel like he's kind of got a little bit closer to the side and not gaining as much power on his fastball right now, and needs to come a little bit more over the top um you know maybe maybe these guys can figure it out but right now when you're down andrew miller you throw a wrench into the situation it it gets it gets difficult to figure out how you're going to how you're going to navigate it every every single night and when when things go perfectly and you could just set it up you know olsen comes in gets his outs allen comes in gets his out you know that's that's all fine and you can point to that and say that's the blueprint but what happens when something goes awry because that's just you don't follow you can't follow the same thing every night things tend to happen guys struggle to put guys away guys throw a lot of pitches or a starter gets yanked in the fourth inning how do they navigate that I don't have the same confidence in this group that I've had in years past. Well, and you can't rely on the starters to give you seven innings every night. Like they've been, they've been fortunate that the starting rotation has been as good as it's been so far. I think we have to expect that there there are going to be some rough patches where they have to lean on yeah. the bullpen a lot more than they have. And how can you feel confident about that right now? Yeah. So it, it, to me, it's not that oh they they lost Shaw and they lost Smith. It, it's that they didn't. It almost feels like they assumed everyone would replicate what they did last year, and just like whoever they throw into that mix is going to succeed. There's and just not. A, they didn't give themselves enough alternatives. Yeah, this just doesn't seem like there's enough contingency plans if and when things go bad. Because you have seen in the past couple of nights, things have gone bad. Now, if if relievers come in that you're counting on, and you throw Goody into that because he was quite good last year, um, and prior to. Uh, couple of appearances ago was, was pitching okay. You, know, you, you need those guys to come up and do what you're expecting them to do, but relievers are going to go through stretches just like everybody else when they're not going to be as good. And as you said, if you're counting on the same guys every single night or you remove somebody from the equation, it gets difficult to see how they're going to distribute those innings. And I, and I think, by the way, I think they're going to fix this. I think they will remedy this at some point this year. Well, you have to. Well, duh. But I think that they will. And I think they've proven that if there's somebody out there to go get, they they will do that. They've They're done smarter that. than we are. Yeah, probably. I think so. Although your hardball dynasty record does speak for itself. Thank you. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, there are a couple options still at AAA too. Like you, there's a reason you like they're seeing you're seeing Bellavo right now, right? Mm-hmm. And when Miller comes back in a week. Like Bellavo's probably going to be DFA'd, and probably. you might lose him. And so, I, before you swing a trade, you probably see what you have in Evan Marshall at AAA. Uh, at some point, you got to give Alexi Ogando a chance to do something. Um, so, there are other internal options that maybe stick because we've seen this. Ha- I mean, it, it happened with Goody, and it happened with Tyler Olson, and like you give those internal options a chance first. 
and then you go swing a trade. But uh, it, it's... I almost wonder if they need two guys. I, I mean, you get to the playoffs and your starting pitcher rarely goes three times through the order, right? Like, the first sign of trouble, it seems, you get someone warming in the bullpen. So, the Yankees last year had six guys they could go to confidently and, and they'd blow away the, the hitters. The Indians have two, maybe three, three and a half. But, like, even with Goody and Olsen right now, it's like, eh, we need to see more. So, I don't know. I'd be calling up the Orioles pretty soon. I'd be calling up uh, whoever else is out there. I mean, there's, like, five teams that are already eliminated from postseason <laughs> contention. So, at some point, you, you got to... Three of them in this division? Yeah, you got to see what you can get. Um, but it is, it, it's it's the beginning of May. So, they have that's, time to work things thing. out. That's the thing. And I'm also willing to admit this. Anything that you think you know about your... The team that you follow in April is going to be different than what you think you know in May and different than what you think you know in June. And certainly by the time you get to July, August, and September, your thoughts on on what you think you'll know will have changed 500 times. And it's even more that way with with bullpens because we're talking – what are the sample size we're talking about? Six, seven, eight innings? Like we're going to learn something – Definitively from that, this is all we have to go on. And it, we're only talking about right now based on what we know and what we've seen and kind of what we know based on last year. Right now, it seems like this is a group that needs to, is going to need some sort of upgrade at some point, some sort of boost, something to just take the pressure off everybody else that's in there um, so you're not having to rely on the same arms every single night. But as you said, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe one of the guys they have down in, in the minors ends up being that guy because at this point we weren't talking about Goody and Olsen last year. Well, Mark Shapiro used to say he would try to hold off on any grand generalizations or evaluations until the 40-game mark. And the Indians were recording this Tuesday afternoon and they're 27 games in. So there's there's time before you even... I mean, we're not... We're like not even 20% through the season. So you're right. And, and how many times can we say that your roster in April and May looks yeah. nothing like what it'll look like in August and September? But... You have to start somewhere in identifying areas where, all right, we need to get more looks at alternative options, and we need to start planning for if we go pursue a trade or something else, what are our options there, how might that fit, and how might this roster be able to turn over over the next few months. Yeah, I think fifth spot becomes something to monitor moving forward. Bullpen certainly something to monitor moving forward and keep an eye on. Um, and maybe those trends will change. But right now, if things continue the way they're going, and that's, again, all we have to go on at this point, then, of course, then you're going to have to pursue other alternatives or perhaps when you get in July, swing some sort of trade to fix it. We'll see. They've got time and the division is setting up where you can be patient and kind of let those things play out. Um, one thing we didn't talk about last week, the move had become official, but Melky Cabrera is within the organization. The offense has struggled at times, and I know we've talked about it five billion times in this podcast. The, what they're doing on the field probably doesn't exactly match what the production level has been. That's fair, but they're also still not performing like they should be. Um, even if you're just looking at expected weighted on base and you know, how hard they're hitting the ball, it doesn't completely match, but still you're not getting your typical levels from Lindor and Jason Kipnis 
and you, know, you can really go through through the whole lineup. Edwin Encarnacion certainly is not giving you even what he gave you last April when many of us were saying, hey, let's hold on, pump the brakes, let's see how this plays out. He still has not been the same hitter or as good of a hitter as he was last April when many people were concerned about him. So the Indians add to the depth in the outfield. You don't know what's going on with Lenny Chisinau. He's battling the calf thing again. So you add some depth in Melky Cabrera. At what point do you think we will see Melky in Cleveland? See, I was I have not... the second part of this question. I was not that excited about this signing, and it did, didn't really make sense to me. The second part um, of the question is, should we see Melky in Cleveland, based on what we've seen so far? I don't think so. I, 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 how can you confidently say he's going to give you more than what Tyler Naquin gives you? He's a terrible defender, right? And when Lonnie Chisholm comes back, there's not a spot for him anyway. And I know some people, I was surprised that the, the reaction, some people were really excited thinking this was going to make a big difference. He, he's not, he's not good. He's not the same Melky he no. once was. He's I not mean, the same Melky who got busted for PEDs after he had a monster season six years ago, right? I mean, it, it's, it's, it's nice to have options, but he doesn't give you anything that other guys don't. See, I, always, I, I felt like when the move happened, this was protection in case Michael Brantley had a setback. Sure. Bradley Zimmer or Tyler Naquin fell on his face. Tyler Naquin, yes. Um, I mean, go. It's just another insurance policy on an outfield that's already pretty thin, which is fine. And you don't have a lot of other options. And he costs and, you nothing, and that's why you th- you throw Francisco uh, Mejia out there occasionally, and, and you see if you can find so- something else that sticks out there. I get all of that. Beyond that. And this is maybe this is part of part of being prisoner of the moment. Tyler Naquin's playing fine now. He's not an impact level bat. He's probably never going to be the player that he was in his rookie year, especially in the first half. Is he a capable guy? Is he capable of hitting 280, 290, having a good arm in right field, making guys respect that, and playing a capable, if not above average, position out there? I would rather see the guy that has some a higher ceiling that still has some room to grow and. It's not costing anything. Still might be part of your future plans. I mean, wouldn't you like to see if he is capable of being your right fielder next year? Sure. At least your platoon guy serving as the Lonnie Chisholm Hall of this team? Sure. How are you going to find that out? By running him out there and playing it. Melky, yeah, I, maybe, maybe you do see Melky, and maybe Naquin is hitting 230 in two weeks, and that makes that decision easier. But I, I'm not as quick to... To send Naquin down to give a, a guy that is a switch hitter and is a veteran that opportunity based on just kind of what we're seeing right now. Yeah, and honestly, this offense needs Kipnis and Encarnacion to perform. Right, right, exactly. Like, uh, it's, it's, if, if Melky hits 270 with a 720 OPS, like, that's not going to make the difference between this team going places and not. Like, and if, and if, if Melky Cabrera is the key, then you're, you're screwed. Yeah. Like, you're, you're, you're up, you know what, Crick without a paddle. I mean, it's not, it's not a position where you want to be counting on someone like that. You need Francisco Lindor, Jason Kipnis, Edwin Encarnacion, your stars to perform like stars. If they don't, then what everyone else does is pretty much a wash. Yeah. Uh, all right. I, that, there's nothing else that needs to be said. I, I think we've spent three minutes on Melky. That's plenty. <laughs> I know which I know what this is about. You ready for a random Indian You're of the this past? Back? Yeah, we should do this. Okay. I always forget. Um, this person played for the Indians from 1998 to 2001. Okay, that's your first clue. Any guesses? Uh, 98 to 2001. Is it? Hmm, is it? 
Jeff Branson. No. He was on the roster in 97. He was a position player in those four years. He had a 788 OPS, which was smack dab league average. Is it Richie Sexton? No, come on. He was a better hitter than that. Uh... And plus, Richie Sexton was traded in 2000. That's true. For Bob Wickman and Steve There's Woodard. clues have sucked so far. This could be so many... Jason Beret. Beret went to Milwaukee in that deal? Sexton, Beret... No, they got Seymour. back Beret. And, and Woodard, Steve, Woodard Steve Woodard and, and Bob, Bob Wickman. Wickman. Wow. What a deal. Um, he, he was an outfielder. Is it... Really cool batting stance. Is it... No, it's not Ben Francisco. Oh, come on. It's not Franklin Gutierrez. Dude, you're naming guys from like 2008. I don't remember. This is right up your alley. In 99, he had 330 with an 880 OPS in 32 games. Is it Kareem Garcia? No, he was he was in the on the bad teams in like 03. Uh, let's look at his transactions. The Indians acquired him with Steve Reed from the Giants for Sean Dunstan, Jose Mesa, and your boy Alvin Mormon. Is it Jacob Cruz? Yes. Ding, ding, ding. And then the Indians traded him to the Rockies for Josh Bard and Jody Garrett in 2001. Wow. How about that? They won the trade. So they turned Jose Mesa into Jacob Cruz into Jody Garrett who won the Sporting News Rookie of the Year in 2003. but had a really good rookie year. Just crushed the Royals, right? (laughs) The whole season was based on three series and kind of fell off the map after that. So Jacob Cruz, who now is uh, 45 years old. Could he play outfield? And could he unseat Naquin in right field? All that and more. If Jacob Cruz and Melky Cabrera each got 100 plate appearances against Ooh, a like league average pitcher today, now they'd probably be tired. But who would put up the better OPS? Uh, I will take Melky Cabrera. Okay. For the as spread much, would be like. For as much as we kind of poo pooed that. 100. Go. Okay. Well, if you would like to subscribe to the podcast, you can do that. Search Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts. You can find us there. Of course, the podcast is free every single week. The content at The Athletic is not, but we do appreciate each and every one of you that has subscribed and has checked out some of uh, our recent stories. I know, Zach, you got some pretty cool stuff coming up on Cody Allen on Corey Kluber that you're pretty excited about. Yeah, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago about appreciating Corey Kluber and kind of trying to put his performance into perspective and Cody Allen did that better than you and I could um, and his, his quotes on those two are pretty cool and candid and you know maybe like is it crazy to say we don't have to get into this but like Corey Kluber might be a Hall of Famer one day yeah you might be watching a Hall of Fame pitcher right this very second that's pretty cool and I think it's cool when you know we as baseball fans, at least I think we try to as much as we can appreciate that. It's easy to get jaded in a journalistic standpoint. For fans, I hope they appreciate it. I really find it cool when the players themselves remove the, the peer cap and take a step back and appreciate it like a fan, like they are watching it at home. It's one of my favorite things when a player kind of 
breaks that wall down and they look at a player like you and I look at a player and just kind of marvel at their ability. Yeah, you know, I, I don't I won't give away the whole it's a two article thing, two stories because you got to pay for that the good stuff. But um, Cody Allen talking about like like let's like Cody Allen's really good. Okay. And he's talking about Andrew Miller like Andrew Miller is the greatest thing, greatest reliever in world history and I'm like, you know, he's talking about his 2016 performance. I'm like, you know, you didn't you didn't give up a run that whole postseason. Like you were pretty good too. And he's like, yeah, but I was so inefficient and struggled and like Miller just blows guys away one, two, three. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I guess I won't try to give you credit then. Uh, <laughs> and yet, if you talk to Andrew Miller about Cody Allen, he says yeah. a lot of the same things. But it, it's cool to know that they're like sitting in the clubhouse playing cards and Kluber walks past and they like gawk at Kluber, even though they're all buddies and they. They hang out and they talk every day. It's like there is still a little bit of the mystique just because this is a guy who goes out there and just shoves every five days and wins awards and puts up numbers that, like Cody Allen goes to baseball reference and just like gawks at numbers <laughs> like we do. I told him to go look at Barry Bonds' page where it's just covered in gold and bold numbers. and um, But he, he looks at Miller's and, and Kluber's stuff and, and Clayton Kershaw and just he's blown away just like we would be. Sort of like, and we will leave the, the listeners at home on, on this, it's, it's like when we're standing down in the clubhouse, the great Paul Hoynes just comes waltzing through. How many is, Hoynes has got like a DiMaggio streak of coming up in our podcast. <laughs> How could you not talk about the greatness that is Hoynes? Um, well, no one else Marvel. would wear a coat today on an 80 degree and sunny day <laughs> in downtown Cleveland. Um, and the thing that I love most about Paul is that he will rip on himself just as much as anyone. Uh, but we do appreciate all of you that subscribe to the podcast that have left left us reviews and, and some kind words over there, over that Apple podcast that helps us out rise up the rankings and helps other people find the podcast as well. And if you search our uh, Selby is Godcast on Google, you can find many of the links. You can search The Athletic Cleveland and the links are always posted there. And of course, we always tweet out the links to the podcast at TJ Zuppi, at Zach Meisel and we're available a hundred other different places. I don't even know that we just send out the RSS feed and apparently places latch onto it and can find us. So if you have a Google device there are ways that you can subscribe to the podcast as well. Any parting words for our listeners? It's funny how we always finish this and then it's always Taco Tuesday. In it's press dining. Uh, well, we will go brave that together. Although Yankees press dining this weekend. Best in the league. Let's uh, go. Uh, I'm so jealous. So, so jealous. We're out of here. Have a good week, everybody. See you.